0: part 2 chapter 15 of war and peace by leo tolstoy translated by nathan haskell doyle this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by Marianne. it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon when prince andrei having through his urgency been granted his request by kutuzov reached grund and reported to bagration bonaparte's aid had not yet reached murat's division and the battle had not begun nothing was known in bagration's detachment about the general course of events they talked about a peace but did not believe in its possibility they talked also about an engagement but neither did they believe in the imminence of any engagement bagration knowing that bolkonsky was the commander-in-chief's favorite and trusted adjutant received him with all the marks of respect and condensation possible to a commander assured him that either that day or the next an engagement would probably take place and granted him free choice to be present with him during the battle, or to remain in the rear and superintend the retreat, which, he said, would be a very important position. However, it is most likely that nothing will be done today," said Prince Bagration, as if to relieve Prince Andrei's anxieties. At the same time, he thought, if this is only one of the ordinary jack dandies of the staff, sent out to win a cross, he will get it just as well by staying in the rear." but if he desires to be with me, let him. He will be useful if he is a brave officer. Prince André gave no decided answer, but asked the prince's permission to reconnoitre the position and learn the disposition of the forces, so that in case of necessity he might know where he was. An officer on duty, a handsome man, faultlessly attired and with a diamond ring on his index finger, who spoke French badly but fluently, offered to be Prince André's guide on all sides were to be seen wet and melancholy-looking officers apparently searching for something and soldiers lugging from the village doors benches and fences here prince we cannot get rid of men such as these said the staff officer pointing to the soldiers the officers let them leave their places and here again the officer pointed to a salters tent pitched near them they gather around and loaf and loaf this morning i drove them all out and look it's all full again "'I must go and disperse them. One minute.' "'Let us go, and I will get some cheese and a loaf of bread from him,' said Prince Andrei, who had not yet had anything to eat. "'Why didn't you tell me, Prince? I should have been delighted to have shared my bread and salt with you.' They dismounted and went into the salter's tent, where a few men and a number of officers, with flushed and weary faces, were sitting around a table, eating and drinking. "'Now what does this mean, gentlemen?' said the staff officer, in a tone of vexation like a man who has been iterating the same thing again and again. You know it is forbidden to absent yourself from your posts in this way. The Prince has forbidden any such thing, and here you are, Mr. Captain, said he, turning to a little, lean, dirty artillery officer, who without boots, he had given them to the salterer to dry, in his stocking feet, stood up as the others entered, and greeted them with a not altogether unnatural smile. "'Well, aren't you ashamed of yourself, Captain Tushin?' continued the staff-officer. One would think that as an officer you would set a good example, and here you are with your boots off. If an alarm were sounded you would make a fine show without boots. The staff-officer smiled satirically. Please go to your places, gentlemen. All. All of you, he added, in a tone of command. Prince Andrei could not help smiling, as he looked at Captain Tushin, who... Silent and smiling, stood first on one barefoot, and then on the other, and looked inquiringly with his large, intelligent, and good natured eyes, from Prince andrei to the officer of the day. The soldiers say it is easier to go barefooted, said Captain Tushin, timid and still smiling, evidently anxious to escape from his awkward predicament by assuming a jesting tone. But he did not say anything further, as though he felt that his joke was not appreciated and was not a success he grew confused. "'Please go to your places,' repeated the staff officer, trying to preserve his gravity. Prince André once more glanced at the diminutive form of the artillery officer. There was something about it, peculiar, utterly unmilitary, and rather comical, but still extraordinarily attractive. The officer of the day and Prince André remounted their horses and rode on. Having passed by the village, constantly overtaking or meeting soldiers and officers of different divisions they came in sight of the new entrenchments at their left made of reddish clay freshly dug up several battalions of soldiers in their shirt-sleeves in spite of the cold wind and looking like white ants were busy digging at these fortifications behind the breastworks shovels full of red clay were constantly tossed up by the men hidden from sight they rode up to the earthworks examined them and riding on mounted the opposite slope from the top of it they could see the french prince andrei reined in his horse and began to look around there's where our battery is stationed said the staff officer indicating the highest point under command of that droll fellow whom we saw without his boots from the top there you can get a bird's-eye view of everything let us go to it prince i thank you cordially but now i can make my way alone said prince andrei wishing to get rid of the staff-officer. Do not trouble yourself, I beg you. The staff-officer turned back, and Prince André rode on alone. The farther toward the front he rode, and the nearer to the enemy he came, the more orderly and admirably disposed seemed to be the army. The greatest disorder and despondency were in the division of the baggage-train before Znaam, which Prince André had overtaken that morning, and which was at least ten versts from the French in grund also there was a certain atmosphere of apprehension and fear of something but the nearer prince andrei came to the french outposts the more satisfactory seemed to be the condition of the russian forces the soldiers in their capotes stood drawn up in line and a sergeant and captain were counting the men laying a finger on the breast of the last soldier of each division and directing him to lift his hand others scattered over the whole space were dragging sticks and brushwood and constructing rude huts while they gaily laughed and chatted around the bouviac fires some dressed and others stripped were drying their shirts and leg wrappers mending their boots and capotes crowding around the kettles and kasha boilers in one company dinner was ready and the soldiers with eager faces gazed at the steaming kettle and waited while the captor or sergeant carried a wooden cupful to be tasted by the officer who was sitting on a log in front of his hut. In another company, more fortunate, since not all were provided with vodka, the soldiers stood in a throng around a pock-marked, broad-shouldered sergeant who, tilting the keg, filled in turn the covers of the cans which eager hands extended toward him. The soldiers, with reverent faces, lifted the can covers to their lips, drained them, and, rinsing the vodka in their mouths, and wiping them on their coat-sleeves went off with contented faces all the faces were as free from care as though the enemy were miles away and there was no probability of a battle in which at least half of the division might be left on the field as though indeed they were somewhere in their native land anticipating undisturbed repose having ridden past the regiment of jägers, prince andrei reached the crif Grandiers, gallant young fellows occupied all with the same peaceful pursuits but not far from the regimental commander's hut, distinguished only by its height from the others, he saw a platoon of the grenadiers, in front of whom lay a man, stripped. Two soldiers held him down, and two flourishing supple rods were giving him measured strokes on his naked back. The man who was undergoing the punishment screamed unnaturally. A stout major walked up and down in front of the line, and without heeding the man's shrieks, kept saying, "'It's scandalous for a soldier to steal.' a soldier ought to be honest noble and brave and if he steals from his comrade he has no honour in him he is a mean fellow more more and still resounded the swishing of the rods and the despairing but pretendedly piteous cries more more repeated the major a young officer who was just turning away from the scene of the punishment with a mixed expression of incredulity and compassion looked up questioningly at the adjutant as he rode by. Prince Andrei, penetrating to the extreme front, rode along by the outposts. The Russian pickets, and those of the French, were separated by a considerable distance at each flank, but at the center, on the space where the emissaries had crossed in the morning, the lines were so close that they could see each other's faces and exchange remarks. Besides the soldiers, who were stationed as pickets in this place, There stood on both sides many sightseers who laughing and jesting stared at the hostile troops as though they were strange and foreign curiosities ever since early morning, notwithstanding the orders to stay away, the officers had been unable to rid themselves of these inquisitive individuals. The soldiers standing in the lines like men who had come out to see something rare no longer paid any attention to the french but made observations on the newcomers or bored to death waited to be relieved prince andrei reined in his horse to reconnoitre the french look you look said one soldier to his comrade pointing to a musketeer who in company with an officer had gone up to the line of sentries and was talking earnestly and hotly with a french grenadier see how glib he jabbers the frenchman can't begin to keep up with him that beats you Sidorov. wait listen he's clever replied Sideroff who considered himself a master in the art of speaking french the soldier whom the jesters were remarking was dolokhov prince andrei recognized him and listened to what he was saying dolokhov with his captain had gone up to the sentry on the left flank where their regiment was stationed there once more once more urged the captain leaning forward and trying not to miss a word albeit it was perfectly unintelligible to him please make haste what does he say Dolokhov did not answer his captain. He had got drawn into a heated discussion with the French grenadier. Naturally, they were talking about the campaign. The Frenchman, confusing the Austrians with the Russians, contended that it was the Russians who had surrendered and run away from Ulm. Dolokhov contended that the Russians had not surrendered, but had beaten the French. And here, if they tell us to clear you out, we will do it, said Dolokhov. You look out that we don't take you and all your Cossacks with us, retorted the Frenchman. The spectators and the Frenchmen, who were listening, laughed. "'We will teach you to dance Russian fashion, as we did in the time of Suvorov,' said Dolokhov. "'What's that time he's giving us?' asked another Frenchman. "'Ancient history,' said another, perceiving that the reference was to some past war. "'The Emperor will teach your Suvara the same as he has taught others.' "'Bonaparte,' began Dolokhov, but the Frenchman interrupted him. "'We have no Bonaparte.' We have the emperor, nom," cried the other excitedly. The devil skin your emperor! And Dolokhov began to pour out a string of O's in Russian, soldier fashion, and shouldering his musket, walked off. Let us be going, Ivan Lukitch," he said to his captain. He stopped talking French, cried the soldiers in the line. Now it's your turn, Sidorov." Sidorov winked, and addressed the Frenchman, beginning to jabber a perfect stream of meaningless words. "'Kari, mala, tafa, safi, muter, kashka,' he jabbered, trying to give great expression to the inflections of his voice. "'Ho, ho, ho, ha, 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 Ugh! rang among the soldiers, with such a hearty and jovial laughter that the Frenchmen across the line were irresistibly infected, and one would have thought, after this that all that was necessary was for them to fire off their muskets explode their cartridges and scatter to their homes as soon as possible but the guns remained loaded the barbarians in the huts and earthworks looked out just as threateningly as ever and the unlimbered cannon remained as before pointing at each other End of chapter 15